Hello. Hello. Um, are you are you happy so far? Is it um is it the right? T- I'm very nervous doing someone else's podcast. It's not like doing your own podcast. I don't ever like it. No, it's fine. <laughs> that's fine. That's that's terrible. No, it's really good. <laughs> I, I meant to say that that's fine. You don't need to worry about it. Um, no, no, it's good. I'm really enjoying it. Um, good. What? Cut this out. Just cut this out. No, this is this is like this this is like prime before the intro music fodder. <laughs> Hello, my name is Declan Deneen, and welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode, a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest on today's show is Ellie Gibson. Um, This show is an absolute riot. It was so much fun to record. Um... I think it's probably the most I've laughed in a in a single podcast recording. Um, it was it was so much fun and just full of like really uh, brilliant stories, things that I, I weren't expecting, especially some stuff about you know the Vietnamese um, newspaper industry. Um, so if you're not familiar with Ellie, I mean, most of you probably will be familiar with Ellie through uh, Eurogamer, the the years she worked at Eurogamer and wrote excellence and often very funny things about video games she's now uh, one of the the hosts of scummy mummies a very popular parenting podcast and is part of uh, the comedy duo the scummy mummies uh, most excitingly is she's going to be in um this new show on dave the uh, dara o'brien's go 8-bit um which is like a fun video game comedy panel show type thing and she she's essentially taking on the the Susie dent role um, we'll we'll get into this in the show, but it's very exciting. I'm I'm really looking forward to that show. Actually, um, I think there's so much potential in in kind of games as a as a performance, you know, as as a show. Like, I mean, the success of Games Than Quick only only serves to illustrate that point. Um, which is a beautiful sag by me because I'm going to talk about a show which is going to be next week's episode. Um, and I've said next week's episode because now I have to commit to doing it. But it's especially, um, especially interesting as as I live in Glasgow and the Edinburgh Fringe is currently on at the moment. I've been to see uh, a few shows. Chris Gethard's stand-up show is the best show I've seen so far. If you happen to be going to the Fringe, I highly recommend uh, uh, recommend that. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I've, I've, I've talked about this ages ago, but I, I was putting together a podcast about games as performance and games as... As, as acting in in some ways uh, because I, I i write i write a lot for the the theater so i've got to know a bunch of different actors and actors who play games especially so i've recorded a, a bunch of different interviews and i just need to kind of edit them all together into a, a single episode i think it'll be quite fun actually i'm quite i'm quite looking forward to putting it together um this is the kind of the bold experimental content you can uh, expect from the checkpoints podcast um if you are a fan please do rate and review the show on iTunes. It is hugely appreciated and, and helps more people discover the show as does simply telling a friend or, or tweeting about it or nominating us for the, the GMAs uh, this year. I think that's still open. I don't know. But anything just to sort of get more people introduced to the show because it's, it's a really uh, fun show to do and, and I think I speak to a lot of super interesting people um, and I think it's worth, if you have any sort of interest in that sort of area, I think it's a... Uh, it's a unique and interesting proposition. If this is your first episode, welcome. Please go back and, and listen to uh, the, the back catalogue of guests on the show. And please do stick around for the 
many wonderful and interesting people I'll be speaking to in the in the coming months. Um, almost episode 50. It's pretty cool. Okay, I'll be back next week with a, a new episode. Probably one of the autosave specials. See, I've, I've already gone back on my definitely next week. I'm already into probably. But I hope I can get it all done for next week. Otherwise, I'll be back with a new guest. Either way, it'll be excellent. Um, until then, have a wonderful week. Enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get on with the show. So where are you? Like, hey, are you not at home? I'm at home. Yeah, no, I'm in my house. Uh, my in-laws are in the front room. My children are in bed. I'm living the dream. That does sound pretty good. That does sound pretty good. <laughs> um, so where, 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 where was the show that you're at? What festival were you at? So we were at Camp Festival, which is like festival, but for families, basically. So it's down in Dorset in Lulworth Cove. And it's, and it's you know, yeah, it's just a festival. Um, well, it's just like a normal festival, except instead of everyone being off their nut on loads of drugs, everyone's off their nut on loads of sugar. And all the parents were <laughs> really pissed. So it was amazing. I got to meet Mr. Tumble. Do you know who Mr. Tumble is? Oh, I knew you broke you up then. not a parent. What did you say? Oh, dear. Do you know who Mr. Tumble is? I know. I mean, I'm aware of the cultural phenomenon of Mr. Tumble. I don't think I could pick him out of a lineup, though. <gasps> you just, you just, you don't even know what you just said, Declan. I know, That's... I know. I mean, I know there is a Mr. Tumble. I'm aware of a Mr. Tumble. My girlfriend makes um, cakes. She's got a cake business. So she does right. like loads of wedding cake stuff, but she also does like kids cakes. And Mr. Tumble is a popular character. But in amongst like, a bunch of other characters that you're know, all interchangeable. Is Mr. Tumble an actual human being then, I take it? Yeah, he's a real man called Justin Fletcher. He's a real actual man. Um, and he's he's just huge. It took him, he always does, he always headlines Camp Festival. And it took him half an hour to get from the stage to his dressing room, uh, just from kids. I was, I was there and it was literally, it was like Beatlemania. Children were crying just <laughs> about the fact they were in proximity with him. So we got a selfie with him. So obviously that was a career highlight. Uh, that was good. And then when we thought just we thought the day couldn't get any better, we met the Chuckle Brothers. Oh, what? So I know exactly. If you had seen, you should. That's that's the headline there. You start with the Chuckle Brothers. That's why I left it till last. I knew I knew it'd get you. I knew that if Tumble <laughs> didn't do it for you, the Chuckles would would bring it home for me. Were they good? Yeah. Were they? Was it like as you imagined meeting the Chuckle Brothers? Oh, they're very professional. You know, they've been together fifty three years. Would you believe? Um, and they're yeah, they're very nice. They're very. I mean, did they make me chuckle? Not really. But do they have to be on all the time? I don't know if they do, Declan. Yeah, you know? do you know this is this is perhaps a controversial opinion? But even as a kid, I never, I never got the Chuckle Brothers. Like they well, just never did it for me at all. And I well, don't know why, because I, lo- I love I slapstick just, um, stuff. But I think they just didn't commit enough to it. You think the Chuckle Brothers' problem is commitment, do yeah, you? Fifty-three years of it's... going to meet you. You think that's not commitment? No, no, no. I mean, like the the shtick. I love. Uh, you know, they're clearly into that. They they've had to meet you forever. I'm not taking oh, that away from shtick. them. Yeah. I no, just mean their 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 sort of their their fumbles and their falls and their pratfalls. They never really hit home to me. I never believed them. Well, I've got something to tell you, Declan. Not all comedy is real life. Do you I, know, know I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry to be the one to break it to you. I do have this but, um, problem. Cheers isn't a real bar where Ted Danson still lives. Do you know oh, what I mean? Tell me about it, right? I went yeah, to I Cheers know. last year. <laughs> cheers is like my number one favourite show of all time. I've got a very personal connection with Cheers. And I really? went to the bar and it was awful. 
Oh, it was oh. awful. It was full of... Well, it wasn't awful. It was cool because it was Cheers. And I knew it'd be like full-on tacky, uh, you know, merchandise stuff. That was fine. I, I bought things, obviously. Um, yeah. But it was just full of like, oh, kind of sad, gross-looking people, which is really unfair. <laughs> but that's how I felt. No, and that's you, not And you looking all cool and, you know... Oh, yeah, no, I was obviously like... I belonged there. <laughs> that, I, this was like a, a lifetime journey to get to Cheers. Did, did I, everybody know your name? No, did anybody know did. your name? Not, not a single person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I feel very, um, I feel very bad for you. That's okay. Did that sound sincere? It did, yeah, it did. Yeah, good, yeah. No, yeah, I know, I know it's stupid. I know it is. It's, it's fine. <laughs> um, so Ellie, let's hey. do like, let's do an introduction. Um, okay. Let's do like a start of the show. So Ellie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Welcome. Um, You're you... welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. Uh, if you don't mind, would you introduce yeah. yourself? Uh, so my name is Ellie Gibson, and uh, I've been a video games journalist for oh about 15 years now. That's how old I am. And uh, yeah, these days I still do a bit of video games journalism. I'm in a new television show called Dara O'Brien's Go 8-Bit uh, with Dara O'Brien amazingly and i also do comedy i do comedy for parents uh, i'm in a double act called scummy mummies and we do a podcast and a live show and we've written a book so yeah i'm yeah, diverse that. that's very that amazing that's amazing i didn't realize like what what came first was it the podcast or the the comedy thing the the podcast we started doing I'm, well i started doing stand-up um about after i had a baby so uh gosh three and a half years ago something like that it's a bold um, move well, yeah, it's a weird one. I, th- I feel like it's like, you know, when you've pushed a human being out of your front bottom, you do sort of feel like you could do anything, really. That it's is a fair funny, point. You sort of feel like, well, but also it's like I was at a place in my life where I was, I was really happy, quite honestly. I really liked having a baby and being a mum. And, you know, when I was in my 20s, I, was, I sort of thought, oh, could I do stand-up? But what if I what if I go and try and do stand-up and then I'm dreadful at it, you know? Yeah. Um, and then it's it's, you know sometimes it's better to have a to have a dream and a hope than to actually try and live that dream and crush your own hopes underfoot isn't it yeah if sort you don't of. try you can't fail exactly exactly <laughs> that's the sort of jolly person i am yeah. so i thought you know but then when i had this baby i was like oh i'm really happy now sort of with my life i'm really fulfilled actually as a mum and so it doesn't matter if this doesn't work if it does work it'd be a laugh and it'd be cool and who knows um but if it doesn't work it'll be all right so i went and did it and then really enjoyed it and then on my third ever gig i met this mad australian who also had an 18 month old son and uh, liked doing boob jokes and that was that we became the scummy mummies that is that is amazing, and is that that's that's all seems to be going very well. Like I I, I emailed you, I said this in email, but I genuinely do really like the podcast. Like it's really good. Uh, partly not partly, but like kind of because it's it's I I don't um I don't have these conversations. Even though like a lot of my friends they are having kids and stuff, I don't I certainly don't sit with like the the mothers of children and talk about uh, their life as mothers. Oh God, don't do that. It's tedious. But I, I really do really love it. Oh, that's thank you. That's that's very kind because obviously I love your podcast because I I like video games. I wasn't fishing for that. Job. I wasn't fishing. Oh for well, that. but I was thinking also I really like I really like a good murder podcast. You know, I like your serials. I like the story ones. Yeah. Yeah. Like, have you have you heard Untold? You heard about that one? No, no. Is that 
See, I like I like the true life ones, like serial. Yeah. I, I really don't like the storytelling ones, and I should. Oh no, no. But I don't. I'm told it's true as well. I'm told it's set um in Sydney, which is like just down the road from my house. So that's always comforting, isn't it? That's nice. Um, but yeah, but like I've never murdered anyone, but I like listening to a murder podcast. So I guess it's like that. that it's is a bit true. like you're not really being into murder, you being into parenting, isn't it? It's the same thing. <laughs> or it could be. Uh, <laughs> Um, a display of a, an underlying problem that we, we both have, or an unresolved yeah. issue that we both have. Perhaps one day you'll have a child and I'll murder someone. Absolutely. Who knows? <laughs> All our dreams <laughs> might come true. Um, Who knows? Let's talk about video games, though, Ellie. So you, okay. you spent all this time doing... Uh, is the, the show... the Is it I Am 8-Bit or Go 8-Bit? It's Dara O'Brien's Go 8-Bit. Oh, okay, Dara exactly. O'Brien's Go 8-Bit. That's, that's important. Yes. Is that all done? Is that yes. all like in the can, so to speak? It's in the can. It's coming out on September the 5th on Dave. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Dave, the TV channel, as I had to explain to my mother, she was like, wait, wait so which channel, which channel is it for? And I said, oh, it's for Dave. And she went, no, but which channel? I was like, Dave, mum, it's for Dave. No, there's a channel called Dave. That took about 20 minutes. So it's on Dave on the 5th of September, yeah. I'm surprised they haven't used that as one of their, like, idents. That, that seems think. right up their street. That's witty banter, isn't it? it That's is witty totally. banter right there. Absolutely is. Um, but okay right so we'll we'll get back to that i'm sure so ellie what if you can remember what was your very first experience of a video game i think my very first one i think it was jet set willy which i'm sure is a lot of people's um kind of first one but i remember my friends megan and nancy had it they had like the rubber key spectrum and all of that and they were a bit older than me so obviously they're much cooler and i sort of i basically remember three things about going around to their house. One was that they had Jessup Willie. Two was that they still had an air raid shelter in their garden from oh, a war. what? Yeah, I know, right? So again, that's hold on. And then at three, I remember going around and Megan playing me, um, do they know it's Christmas time? Like the Feed the World record. Yeah. And like my mind being blown. Uh, possibly as much as it was blown by Jetset Willie, I can't remember now, but those were two sort of life-changing experiences. And I thought, well, what, what am I going to do, you know, as an eight-year-old with the rest of my life? Shall I, you know, dedicate my life to solving the problem of famine and world hunger and global inequality? Or shall I just become a video games nerd? And here we are today. <laughs> um, so, like, how long after you had this kind of... Uh first taste did you did you get your your own home computer or console and were you immediately like oh mum dad i need one of those I want one of those oh yeah no it took a while it took a while because they had one and then my friend Rosalind had an amiga and Rosalind was an only child so like she had everything she had like loads of barbies which i wasn't allowed and like just loads of you know and, and this amiga that we had we had thundercats and we had buggy boy and new zealand story i think and oh, we just we just loved it. And um, it took it took many many years, even after that, of of pestering my parents. So eventually, my dad, I remember, agreed to buy me a second hand from Loot. Do you do you know Loot, the old newspaper with the know. small ads? Oh, well, it was just a London thing, but it was this huge newspaper, and it was like the internet in paper form. So it was like eBay, but in a newspaper, and it had all these things. So I remember my dad driving us to Tottenham, which we're from South London, so that's the equivalent of Sydney. Like okay. from London, it's the other side of the world, and we got this Amstrad CPC four six four, and we got this giant plastic crate full of like, like it just seemed like a million games, just all these cassettes. Just I was just it, it was fantastic, and, and of it's course, just like a secondhand thing, yeah. So you're getting like yeah, the just whole from some lot of stuff in Tottenham, yeah. 
And of course, I discovered um, soon enough that approximately 70% of the tapes didn't work, okay. you know, <laughs> or were, were completely rubbish and not worth playing more than once. But yeah, it was it was super fun. But was that something you were like petitioning for? Like, or maybe not just you, oh, maybe yeah. like your whole family. I don't know if you like what brothers and sisters you've got. My brother was six years younger than me, so he he came. He was like a console gamer, but he was he was a bit behind. He wasn't really interested. But no, I really wanted my my dream for years was just to have a computer in my bedroom. That was like yeah. So this was your there. computer. Yeah, it was mine. Yeah, yeah. And so um, what? And what? I, no, carry so on. Go on. And I will be here all day. You, you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I even I even had to go a bit of coding. You know, I used to type in the bits from the back of Amstrad Action. And I used to go, I used to do that. Do you remember um, the 10 go to 20 print run thing? Yeah, yeah. And you can make it repeat. That's, to be honest, that's as far as I ever got. That's when I realized again, coding wasn't for me because I found that quite hard work. And uh, that was pretty much yeah. my limit as well, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. That's all anyone really needs. I still knock it out again now and again, <laughs> quite Wednesday <laughs> night, just for a laugh. <laughs> Uh, so what what was on the anything on the Amstrad CPC that really sort of struck you, or was it just whatever? This is a game. This is amazing. I remember I liked Rockstar Ate My Hamster quite a lot. Uh, did you ever play that? I didn't. I never so, had any um, any home computers at all. You never had any home. What's... No, I started on a math system. So in like, and this this comes up a lot. I talk to people, and everyone's obviously like, oh, Commodore Spectrum. I mean, I played them at mates' and stuff, but it was never never had them my only memories oh, of commodore and spectrum are, are dizzy games weirdly they're really fundamental but nothing else oh see i had some dizzy games i never really i couldn't get on with it it was very tedious trying to make an egg jump over a gap yeah and it never worked but i couldn't be really doing that so i wasn't really into dizzy but i liked rockstar which was like you were like you managed a rock band and yeah, i mean i know i know about it obviously yeah. i'm a nerd but i, I just never played it <laughs> So I had that, and I liked funny games. I think I had the Viz game, which I think I really liked, because again, like being quite young as well, it was like really subversive because it was all about bollocks and things, yeah. which is hilarious when you're ten. You know that's amazing. Um, and again, I, I liked all of that, the Bubble Bobble and Rainbow Island and New Zealand Story. I liked all the platformers and all that kind of that kind of jazz. And was that like a was it a bonding thing? Like, did you have like a group of friends around video games, or was this just yours? Um, I I didn't have any friends. Full stop, really, <laughs> which, you know, I think is a common theme amongst weirdly comedians and video games journalists. Uh, I found <laughs> a lot of us, funnily enough, were bullied at school and I was quite badly bullied. So, yeah, so I had like friends like my friend Rosalind who had the Amiga outside of school. He had like family friends. Yeah. But no, in, in school and I went to a girls school as well. So it was even worse. I didn't know anyone who played video games and they knew one person who played video games and that was me. So obviously I was massively weird, you know? Yeah, but like, is that, I mean, th this has sort of come up a couple of times to different people. Like, I I don't remember girls playing games when I was young, and I'm mm -hmm. certain that they did, and it could very well be that I just didn't socialize with girls at all yeah. uh, until I was probably too old. Um, that, sounds, that sounded wrong, but... Um, but like, do you think they they were playing games, but perhaps it was like in secret? Because obviously games weren't cool. I mean, they're, they're barely cool now, but they were never. They were proper like nerds' pursuits, sort of uh, yeah. back then. So do you think people would have would would have hidden them? Like, did you try and hide your your gaming love? 
Um, no, because I was like, I was one of those nerds who's such a massive nerd. I didn't even have the nous to try and hide it. <laughs> I was just a dick. I had like a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles backpack. Like for a 12 year old girl, you're just asking for it, really. You're just asking, yeah. <laughs> you know, for trouble with that sort of behavior. Like I used to read, like, not only did I watch Nightmare, I had all the Nightmare books. And I used to read them in the playground where everyone else was reading Sweet Valley High. I used to read Nightmare. So, yeah, no, I just, and that wasn't out of any sort of bravery or sort of boldness on my part. It was just out of being a dick. So, <laughs> so, so you just, you that. loved what so you no, loved and you're not going to be embarrassed about it. Uh, yeah, I, I guess, I guess, yeah. Um, I, I didn't know any better. Really. I didn't know how to pretend not to be interested yeah, in those yeah, yeah. things, I suppose. Um, and, and before I kind of got to secondary school, I didn't know it was weird to be a girl who liked games because I grew up with my friends Megan and Nancy and Rosalind playing video games and that's what we did. And we never sat around going, oh God, isn't it weird that we like video games? Yeah, I know, I can't believe it. You know, we just like played them. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure that was so, that is the case because like, I'm mm. sure that it was purely a case. People didn't talk about it as much, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it's weird. I find that now, um, if you talk to people, like everybody seems to play video games, especially again with comedians, you say, oh, do you play video games? Um, loads of those people go, oh, yeah, yeah, I love video games. And you go, well, what do you like playing? And they go, oh, I haven't really played anything since Mario and Sonic. Yeah, yeah, and Street Fighter and Mario Kart. You go, right, yeah. So, but like, it feels like everybody I've ever met played those games, right? So it's weird. But everybody does, though. I mean, those are like the, the cultural touchstones. Yeah, they're your, your Citizen Canes and uh, yeah. Star Wars. And I'm sure that that's probably different now. If you spoke to like a 20-year-old, their kind of formative games would be like Minecraft and Angry Birds and whatever. Yeah, idiots. Idiots. <laughs> Maybe like Wii Bowling or something. Um, so did your oh, relationship oh. with gay... Like, okay, so this is another thing. If 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 you don't have this kind of friendship group, and obviously you, you went on to, to be a, a video game journalist, did you love the magazines was that like a kind of proxy community yeah definitely i loved amstrad action really like that um really like the letters page and um just i i liked the sort of geekiness of it and how it felt like being in a little club uh and and of course you got a free cassette with every issue which was amazing and then i sort of naturally graduated to official playstation magazine and um, when i got playstation yeah, and so again, did your relationship days, with games change or did you just carry on just loving games? Yeah, I, I sort of did. I, well, I went to university. I, I did sort of like them growing up. And then my brother had, we had like a SNES and then we had like a Mega Drive. Yeah. Um, so, and we played a lot together. Um, and then we used to have this thing called Life for a Life, Level for a Level. Do you know about that? I do, yeah, I do. It's classic. Yeah, excellent. So we used to do that. And then um, I went to university and, yeah, did an English degree. And obviously had a lot of time on my hands. Yeah. So so then I sort of discovered PlayStation and got really into Tomb Raider. And I used to really, really like um, Wipeout because there was this nightclub where everybody used to go. And I didn't really like nightclubbing. But there was this one nightclub where they had like PlayStation pods that had Wipeout on. Yeah. So I used to go with everybody else from my hall of residence and then just play PlayStation for three hours and then go home and have, frankly, I think a better time. <laughs> I maintain I had the most fun. It's really interesting. I, I spoke to um, Jeff Glendening, who was like a, a PR guy, and it was he kind of invented the whole PlayStations in clubs and, you know, PlayStations for, for kind of 
teenagers and 20-somethings. He sort of pitched that whole marketing campaign. And it's interesting hearing from everyone who kind of has literally, like, his work worked. People right, who went to yeah, clubs yeah. and like, oh, I'm playing on PlayStations. That was that, yeah. was that was what got me back into games. Yeah. Well, well done him. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, but yeah. so was it a bit more? I mean, because of that. I mean, purely because of like stuff like that marketing campaign and you know trying to push it at an older crowd. The was it was gaming more of a, a community thing then? Um, I th- it was definitely a cooler thing. I remember that much. I remember we had like in my house we had like PlayStation did a flyer which had some sort of cool sort of ninja image on it and a PlayStation logo. And it was perforated into roaches. Yep. So you could like, like nowadays, I don't think they'd get away with that, but. I think they barely got away with it at the time, to be honest. I I can't remember, but I remember it thinking, yeah, no, this is, this is quite cool. And like Mario Kart was still quite cool. This is sort of in the late nineties when I went to uni. I mean, we had a Mario Kart like championship in my hall of residence and stuff. So yeah, there was definitely more of a sense of sort of, community and games being an acceptable way to waste the large volume of time you have as an art student (laughs) and were you thinking about like doing anything in games is it ever like an area you thought maybe i could work in that in some capacity no no i i I didn't know what i was going to do i was i was lucky enough to have very supportive parents who always kind of said you can do what you want to do you know so if you want to go to uni and and do english do that and you know we'll we'll sort of work it out later (laughs) Yeah. So I never had this pressure to pick a vocation or have a career. So I just thought, well, I like reading and I like writing. So I'll just I'll just go and do that and see what happens. And then and then, yeah, I lived in this house with like all these biochemists and things and geographers. And they would like go off to the library at 9 a.m. And I'd be like booting up Tomb Raider. And then they'd, <laughs> they'd come back at four in the afternoon and I'd still be playing it. And they'd be like, have you have you done that all day? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I have. And they'd be like, well, I just had an interview with Procter & Gamble. I go, all right, yeah. And they go, what what are you, what are you going to do? I'd be like, dunno. But <laughs> I found the rusty key. <laughs> so, um, who's winning so, yeah, today? Exactly. Who's winning at life in the short <laughs> term? So, yeah, it was fine. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And then um, I left university and then uh, I, I worked in telly for like a year. And then I, uh, I saw this advert in the paper. In the newspaper, Declan, this is thousands of years ago we're talking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the Guardian for a copywriter for PlayStation. And it's interesting because we had Miranda Sawyer on our podcast, just name dropping now, but we have Miranda Sawyer on and she said she got her job at Smash Hits when she was very young because she just saw, she happened to buy a Guardian one day, which she never usually did. She bought the paper and there was this advert for this writer at Smash Hits and she just went, oh, that's my job. That's, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to apply that job. And then I didn't have quite that confidence but I saw the advert and I thought, oh, yes, that's, I, I could, maybe I could do that. Maybe yeah, I've just spent like three years reading books and playing Tomb Raider. That is yeah. exactly what I should be doing. Yeah, I can string a sentence together and find a rusty key. This is for me. <laughs> this is my future. Was that, the, was that so, your application, just that sentence and a photo of you with your yeah. thumbs up? <laughs> that's right yeah exactly a friend really of mine genuinely on. did that once when he and he got a really? job as well it was he when i first moved to glasgow i moved in with this guy from manchester and we were just strangers we met online and uh we were both looking for jobs and he was like he'd been in australia for the last couple of years and just worked bars and so he just put a list of all the bars he'd worked at and then filled up the rest of his cv with just a big picture of him with his thumbs up 
Yeah, and he had a job like literally within about three days. Oh, good for him. Yeah. Good for him. It reminds me a bit of um, the comedian Malcolm Hardy, who uh, used to review his own show at Edinburgh. Oh, nice. He would write... <laughs> He would write a review of his own show and say how brilliant it was and give it five stars. And then he'd give, turn up at the desk of the Scotsman and go, oh, I'm the gardening correspondent. Here's my review of Malcolm Hardy's show. And then they would print it. <laughs> I mean, it's not quite the same thing, but I think it's in the same spirit. I like that. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> fully, full confidence. Like, I don't yeah. need anything else. I can just do this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so how, what, what was the job then? That, that sounds quite vague, like copywriter at PlayStation. Yeah, I didn't really know what copy a copywriter was until I did it. But it was basically um, it was involved like writing the manuals and the bits on the backs of the boxes and like the sales flyers for sales reps and, and just yeah, just general sort of the E three brochures and and things like that. Okay. And there were like three three hundred and fifty people I think applied for the job, and um, I you had to do like three or four rounds, and it was all very exciting because it. Did, you know, it felt like Charlie applying to run the chocolate factory as a gamer. You know, it's like, oh my God, this is really exciting. And I remember they told me about the third or fourth round, they said I was down to the last two. And I thought, oh God, you know. So I went into the building in Soho and and it was a few weeks before PlayStation 2 launched. And they sat me in this room with the PS2 and uh, they said, okay, we're just going to leave you here for a couple of minutes. We just need to go and sort something out. But if you want to have a play, you know, go ahead. I was like, oh my God, of course I want to have a play. Oh my God. So they went out and I booted up the thing and I think it was Sky Odyssey. Was the, and it was the first PS2 game I, I or, or hardly anyone in the country had ever played. And I was very excited. So I played that for like 10 minutes. And then they came in and they said, okay, um, you've got the job. And I was like, oh, brilliant. You know, amazing. And they were like, yeah, no worries. And I kind of did think at the time, well, that's a bit weird. Like what happened to the other person? Yeah. But obviously, you don't question it, do you? Just you know, take the keys to the chocolate factory, um, and don't question. But years later, someone got drunk at a party and told me that they ha- they weren't sure that I wasn't just bluffing the whole thing because I was a girl, and they wanted to make sure that I knew my I actually knew my way around a PlayStation, and that I would work out like X was go and Circle was cancel and all that jazz. So that's flattering. That's that is insane. That's, you know, that's I'm, that's what I was told by someone drunk at a party. I I wouldn't say it in a court of law. You know, as you uh, as you were saying that, then I was like in my head, I was thinking like, oh, was was that a test? Like were they looking through two way glass? And then apparently, yes, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. yeah, it was a test. That's <laughs> unbelievable. So that's. Uh, that's <laughs> but you got the job though. I got the job, and then of course I was terrible at it because I've made up the whole thing. I'd never played a video game in my life. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's fun. Uh, so uh, you were just like writing manuals and and back of the boxes and just general PlayStation yeah. things. Yeah, just and it was an amazing time to be at PlayStation. I remember I'd been there like three days when PS2 launched, and I went to this party, and it was in the real sort of excess rock and roll days of games and of PlayStation. And I think the bar ran out of beer, so they just started giving, or people started taking bottles of spirits and just like rolling around the dance floor with bottles of Bombay Sapphire. <laughs> and it was all just like, it was just mad. And they used to, I mean, I wrote all this. I wrote an inside, I wrote an article called, I think it was called PS2, The Inside Story for Eurogamer, all about this kind of time and what it was like to be there. And But it, it did feel like being part of something really exciting and cool and, and fun. And I really liked it to, to a point. And were you um, like, were you ever um, 
tribal about like video games like it's, you know there's always been kind of which is best like sega nintendo mm. and things like that so were you was playstation like oh man I'm so glad to work for playstation or was it just like whatever it's video games this is amazing yeah it was definitely like um it definitely you felt proud to work there and you felt like you were involved in something cool and fun and they and they worked they were really good at enhancing that by throwing these very lavish parties with proper pop stars and giving you free playstations at christmas and you know everybody everybody in the company gets all the free games and you know they worked hard to kind of make you feel like you were part of a thing and and they were good at that and i think that was fun did you walk Um, past like procter and gamble with you know two pop stars (laughs) on either arm oh i I used to piss in the doorway on my way home every night just to show them who was the best pop star you met during that period? I didn't meet any really because I was I was just a lowly uh, a lowly manual writer. But you know you got they would have like Christmas parties where they would have like, I think they had Jamiroquai one year and they had you know they had like cool people man it was cool I was cool for the first time in my life <laughs> in my own head. And but was uh, yeah. it fun though? Like did you enjoy? I mean obviously that side of it was all fun. But did you enjoy actually like? I mean obviously I assume you must if you went on to writing about games time yeah i loved playing the games i loved the people i loved i loved all of that um but after about a year i did i I, it sort of started to eat away at me a bit because i could remember being a kid and like going into like a game shop with my sort of 30 quid birthday money or whatever and going right i'm gonna buy a game and um i'm gonna read the backs of the boxes and choose whichever box looks the coolest (laughs) Because this is the kind of critical skills and analysis you need yeah. to eventually become an award-winning video game journalist. But you know, as, as that's what kids do, isn't it? That's what my kids do. They want, they do buy into the packaging. That's why packaging exists. That's why it's so successful and so much money is spent on it. And I did start to, you know, well, I think I had to write the 18th back of the box explaining how this high-octane adrenaline-fueled racer would break your television screen with its fast-paced visuals i just kind of thought but this is just a lie and i'm i am just peddling lies to children (laughs) um like some sort of 22 year old female video games themed philip morris so uh (laughs) um i thought yeah maybe this isn't for me forever why don't i become a journalist and i can just slag crap off all the time and uh that'd be fine are we allowed to swear on the podcast yeah yeah, you can swear if you like it's fine Good but, bollocks! Right, I feel better now. Thank you. Were you? But were you like um, still keeping up with like the video game press? Has that been? Has that been something that you'd kind of since your early love of uh, the Amstrad magazine? Well, I still bought the official PlayStation magazine and stuff because I was I was like a proper nerd, yeah, and properly and properly into it. And I had I know I've got a friend who works for Apple. Um, who explained it to me as he's he's drunk the Kool Aid. That was his own words. He was like, I have drunk the Kool Aid. I'm fully you know involved in this company i believe in this company and it's it's got me it's sucked me in and that's kind of all he will say about it as well which is weird uh like it's all a bit parallax view but um yeah so i didn't i wasn't that quite that bad but i definitely felt myself to be like a playstation person and yeah i was i was into it yeah but like were there like magazines that or was it just the playstation ones because you were kind of in on the brand I think I think it was just I'm trying to remember now. Like I was never really into Edge, because um, I just I couldn't. I just felt that it took. Oh, it sounds horrible now because I've got so many friends who are amazing writers who've written for it. But I just felt it was all taking it a bit too seriously. And as you may have guessed, I'm not a very serious individual. No. <laughs> so <laughs> so I struggled 
with that, I suppose. I'm trying to think what other what other magazines were there. I can't really around that sort of time. I can only yeah. really think of Edge because obviously I was one read? of I read Edge. Yeah. Obviously, I'm I'm pretentious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair. Edge is brilliant. Um, but yeah, no, that I mean because it was not not just. I mean, I I totally see like everyone has this kind of. Um, air about it but it was also the the best and like the, the only yeah. one that was actually writing and also like i was a bit of a uh an, an evangelist you know i was i was very much like i want i want more people to play games i think they're brilliant i don't think they should be like maligned mm. were mm. you ever like that or were you just like whatever it's a, a lot no, i don't that, that sounds dismissive but were you more like this is just it's a bit of fun I don't care what anyone else does, really. <laughs> my, my way of business. Uh, yeah, no, I just, I sort of thought they're fine. Having said, yeah, like, you're right. And having said that, I'm, I, I'm really glad that Edge existed and still exists and, and did move things forward and moved games journalism forward. And it was really important to do that. Um, without Edge, you know, we'd all be sitting around going, oh, here we are at Eurogamer Towers. It's yeah. a mega time for video gaming. <laughs> and nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. So, yeah, we, we owe Edge a huge debt. Um, but but were you um, were you keen to kind of like not justify that's the wrong word but like did you care what people thought about games if that was something that you were going to be writing about? Um, not really. Not really. <laughs> Does that make me very shallow? No, 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 not at all. Um, I just I and I kind of always have seen it as I really like writing. I really like games, and I've been very lucky enough that people have paid me to combine those things and. I, I, I kind of haven't really thought about it much beyond that. I suppose I think about my own kids now. And again, I wrote a Eurogamer piece called Dear Charlie, which is all about how I want my son to enjoy games and to have a relationship with games. because Not because, you know, they'll improve his hand-eye coordination or any of that rubbish, but just because they're fun. And our kids get so much education and stimulation like phonics and after school like charlie's just been doing african music and dance and <laughs> you know karate and ballet and all this stuff and i think it's really important that they have some downtime where they're just doing some that's fun and potentially mindless and and that's all right and and video games are a good source of that i think so you you were never kind of um arguing that this is the the new cultural force for the, the next oh, generation no. and stuff, no. Uh, oh, so, God, no. No, video games are inherently stupid. They're inherently <laughs> ridiculous. And that's one of the reasons I like them as a ridiculous person. I like, I find it utterly hilarious and ridiculous that a video game can make you feel like you're this sort of lethal, you know, trained assassin exploring this cityscape at night with this army of amazing weapons at your disposable, at your disposable, at your disposal, rather, when you're sitting in your pants in a bed sitting in Catford. I find that just, that's, that's hilarious to me. <laughs> and I, I love that. I love they provide that. But let's not pretend that there's that much beyond that. I don't think. Okay, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this in a, a different tack then. Because You're gonna John Humphreys me. I'm You're not. I'm not. I'm not, oh. I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just. I'm. I'm but like one of the one of the the, the whole things about um, me starting the show. One of the things in the the preamble when I introduce it is that talking about uh, games that that soothe wounds. So yes, I would say they've done that for me. Definitely, I remember particularly when I was at secondary school and I was very badly bullied and I was very depressed and my mum knew about it all and I remember her taking me to the Bromley Glades 
and uh, buy me a video game. And I chose New Zealand Story, which I played on my friend's Amiga, but I, I, I chose it because I wanted that comfort and I wanted that little happy world with this sort of little jolly chicken thing in it. And I think it helped a bit. I don't know. No, um, I, I, genu- I really do think they do like that. I mean, I really mm. do at certain, at certain points. Mm. Um, but okay, let's let's go back to back to the future. Where did you get a job writing about video games? So I left Sony partly because it was all getting me down, and partly because I had this Australian boyfriend. I was going to go, and I was going to work in Australia for a bit, and then we split up. And but then I ended up like um, working for a newspaper in Vietnam. So that's an weirdly, odd, I, odd jump. Yeah, it was a strange old. <laughs> it was a strange old time. Like in Vietnam. Yeah, in Hanoi, in the north. So why um, were you? Why, why were you in Vietnam? So I bought this round the world ticket um, to Australia, and I was sort of going to stop off in Southeast Asia for a month on my way, and then me and the boyfriend split up before I got to Southeast Asia. And I thought, well, I'll still go. You know, I'll just go and I'll just work it out. And then I got to Thailand and, you know, really loved Thailand. Ended up doing a dive master course, so I was there for like three months. And then uh, I got to Vietnam and I was like, oh, I really like Vietnam. And I kind of thought, you know, Australia looks great, but Vietnam feels really different to home and it's really exciting and it feels like a different cultural experience. And the beer is 8p a glass. <laughs> so I think I'll just stay here for a bit. So I stayed there and I taught English for a bit. And then, yeah, I got a job on the National English Language newspaper. And that, that was like my first job in journalism was like sub-editing that. That's amazing. How how exciting was that? Oh, it was it was completely mental and, and brilliant. And um, partly because it start the shift started at noon, so you would you would work from like noon till half past eight, and then you'd go drinking till half past seven in the morning. So obviously that's brilliant. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but it was it was a mad experience because the newspaper, the Vietnam News, is or it was then. This I mean, God, this is like fifteen years ago or something. Um, it was owned by the uh, non democratic government. And uh, so they had control over what went in the newspaper and it was the English language newspaper. So it would go on all the aeroplanes and stuff. So it was basically Vietnam's, and again, this is sort of when internet was still quite early, this is Vietnam's like message to the world. Okay. And so it had to present Vietnam in a positive light. And I would, and it would, like once I had to edit a short story about the bombing of Hanoi and I wrote it from the point of view of a little boy and how he was really scared. And the editor said, oh, and the editor who'd been in the Vietnam War, by the way, which, you know, was a big deal. Um, yeah. I've just, just made it sound like I don't think it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, <laughs> uh, he said, oh, you have to change it. You have to change it. And I said, why? And he said, well, because nobody was scared in the Vietnam War. No, none of us were scared. And I was like, really? Children? And he was like, nope, change it, change it. And then when SARS broke out, uh, the first person died in the Western Hospital in Vietnam. So again, this was like a massive deal. It was like, oh my God, a, a white person has died in what's supposed to be the nice, clean, rich, white hospital. This is a massive deal. And um, the editor said to me, well, you've got to change this. Don't don't put that he's died. And I said, well, what shall I put? And he said, put that he's in a critical condition. And I was like... <laughs> You can't get much more critical than actually being dead, can you? Really? Um, That's insane. And I like, but it's, yeah, and I said, like, but it's on all the wires. It's you know, it's it's globally known this fact. And he said, oh no, but we can't have people reading the newspaper on the plane flying into Hanoi and and being worried. So, just just make it up. So 
and it makes me laugh now when people talk about ethics in games journalism and journalists <laughs> being corrupt and writing what they're told to write. Like, oh my God, if you knew what goes on in real national newspapers in some countries in the world, you really, you'd be laughing. <laughs> if only they had Twitter back then. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, yeah, that's so unbelievable. So how long, how long did you do that for? That was like best part of a year. And then I came home uh, and then... I and then I had a choice I got two jobs one was for not very much money uh up in Macclesfield I did a little bit of freelance my first ever freelance my first ever games article was published in CBG which was like massive deal and very exciting and then I think it closed or something I can't remember anyway and then I had these two jobs so I had I got a job um on a magazine up in Macclesfield for really no money and I got a job for quite a lot of money doing PR for video games in London and I kind of thought, well, look, you know, it's all video games, isn't it? It'll all be good. And if I, if I, I didn't know anyone up north. And I thought, I'll stay in London. I'll stay with my mates and it'll be a laugh. And I lasted about four days, <laughs> um, during which time I finished all the video games PR work they gave me. And then they said, oh, we've run out of um, video game stuff. Do you think you could um, promote, uh, we've got these two DVDs. One is Jeremy Clarkson's Motorsport. And the <laughs> other one is Rory McGrath's Own Goals and Sporting Blunders, Volume 2. Could you do this? <laughs> and I sort of thought, no, um, I, I can't. Um, and I just knew it wasn't it wasn't the kind of I used to smoke roll ups and drink pints and it really wasn't that kind of kind of office do you know what I mean (laughs) the other ladies in it were lovely but I we were not each other's people yeah really yeah that must have been uh, quite quite scary although considering the last couple of years that you'd had you're like whatever what's next yeah just do something else so I so I rang the Macclesfield people up and said um you know that job is that is that still still going? And they were like, "Yeah." And I said, "Right, great. I should be on the train on Friday." And uh, that was that. What was the thing in Macclesfield? So in Macclesfield, I worked for a company called Live Publishing uh, on a magazine called Station Gamer, which was A five, which we thought was very, very evolutionary and exciting. That's uh, like fanzine in. size. Yeah. Hey, we were we thought it was edgy in two thousand three, and it was. Declan, don't. Don't knock it. You weren't there, I'm man. Not, you I, don't I, don't, know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not going to say anything. Fanzine a thing. size. So I love fanzines. I love fanzines. Oh, do you? I oh, do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we did that, and then we worked on another magazine called PSG 24/7. Which? <laughs> what does PSG stand for? PlayStation Gaming. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It was originally called PSG 24/7 365. <laughs> <laughs> And then it became PSG twenty four seven, and then eventually we got them to knock it down to PSG. But um, it was a, it was a dreadful company run by crooks, and they wouldn't like pay for distribution into WH Smiths and stuff. So nobody read these magazines. Nobody read them, and like every sort of month we'd lose another member of staff, and it was and the office was like in a warehouse or an industrial estate under a tin roof and like it was next to a little chef and I couldn't drive so I had to walk half a mile down a motorway to get to work and it was just <laughs> it was just awful it was awful awful but you know sometimes they're the best situations aren't they because it does sort of galvanize you as a little team of people and you become great friends absolutely and, yeah you know I can picture it, like the opening credits of the sitcom of that <laughs> god I should write that I should you really I should, should yeah. write that yeah, yeah. I should write that with Dan Whitehead, who was there. So Dan from Eurogamer, who I met 
Uh, he was running the film magazine there at the time. And Matt Martin, who now works for VG 24-7. Oh, my God, that's where he got the name. And uh, <laughs> just realised that. And a guy called Paul Lockery, who was great. So, yeah, lots of people who now are working in games. That's where I met them and how, yeah. How that was clearly a good and talented group of people then. It was. It was It was run by lunatics. But, you know, on our little team, it was great. And I managed to get put in charge of the letters pages and the competition. Oh, dream come true. Absolute dream come true. And, of course, nobody wrote any letters because nobody was reading it. So I would just make up all the letters. Um <laughs> and put my friends' names on them just for a laugh. And with the competitions, I would just like, I just like, oh, I quite like CSI. Let's ask for, let's do a CSI box set competition. Nothing to do with video games, nothing to do with our target market, <laughs> but we'd get sent 15 box sets and then we'd get five competition em- entries. So we just divvy the rest up. It was brilliant. <laughs> that does sound amazing. Yeah, it was like um... running an Argos. <laughs> did you, uh, d- d- did you still, um, love games like were you because that was like a good period for like video games mm. so were you like oh man these are amazing yeah i did and and i, and I spent a lot of time because i didn't have kids then and there's there were, there were two nightclubs in macclesfield one was called bar cuba and one was called preachers and there was <laughs> there was really not a lot to do so i played a lot of video games even in my spare time and um yeah i i it, it was a it was another different kind of golden age really what 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 were your your standouts if you have any i really like i remember i'm trying to think but i i remember particularly playing a game called the suffering did you play that no i don't think it doesn't ring any bells it's a bit obscure so hopefully it makes me sound a bit cool but it was like an action adventure set in like a haunted prison um with all these sort of terrible mutant monsters and it was brilliant it was really quite spooky and dark and horrible i just googled um, it i remember the cover vividly but i don't think i've ever seen the game in action oh it's, it was i think it was good i think it was good um it, it was you know these were the days when you could order magic mushrooms legally through the post declan um <laughs> so glory days <laughs> glory days so yeah that was that was a pretty standard friday night in macclesfield get some of those second class royal mail um and we used to play Paul had an Xbox. We used to play Fusion Frenzy quite a lot. Okay, yeah, that was that was that was that is a good party game. It's a good one. The second one was dreadful, but that was the original was good. Um, and yeah, I try. I remember trying to get into GTA because I think San Andreas came out around then, and it was so huge. Um, but I, I, do you like the GTA games? I do. Yeah, I really do. I can't get on with them. It Why? just it feels like because it just feels like having a job. It's just like having a real life but one that's just sort of miserable and i just i don't want that much choice i don't want that much freedom i just want someone to tell me where to go and then collect the thing and then get a present that is true there is there is a certain number of games where like you you are totally paralyzed by by choices but i I, I did play like san andreas was my kind of last year of university game and Ah. I, i was doing an english degree i didn't have exams or anything so I just played Grand Theft Auto San Andreas and I was <laughs> smart enough because there was stuff in that which they've kind of got rid of since then where you you go to the gym and stuff and you'd sort of hit the X button to exercise and I was <laughs> self-aware enough to be sat on the sofa just hitting <laughs> X thinking you really like this is embarrassing so I walked in on you now but not quite motivated enough to do anything about it I yeah, think yeah. now I, I just I couldn't handle the guilt 
um <laughs> of, of doing that but at the time it's like whatever look at my dude oh. he looks amazing <laughs> <laughs> look at my dude yeah, exactly. the Declan Deneed story <laughs> yeah. um okay I'm gonna try let's do some like relatively quick fire questions okay um Ellie what game are you best at oh like best at like so not enjoy the most best at yeah if you, if you had to like you know like uh do a highbrow reference like uh, a seventh seal you know play a game with death or bill and ted's oh. bogus journey for the lowbrow version um oh. what game would you play i am i am rubbish at most if not all video games but by my own standards i am i am pretty good at mario kart um I am not terrible at Street Fighter. Um, I am an absolute whiz at Candy Crush. Uh, but, you know, that's like admitting to being, I don't know, good at eating hamburgers. It doesn't really <laughs> doesn't really mean anything. There's a prize for it somewhere. <laughs> there should be. There bloody should be. Um, I, am, I am really good at Team Raider because I've played all of them a lot. Uh, Which yeah, is your favourite? Um, it is boring, but it is Tomb Raider, which I know, like, I'm sure, I, th- I think, didn't Kirsten and Cara say it as well when you had them on this they podcast? They did, yeah, they did. Yeah, it's, no, it's the, it's the, it's the Sylvia Plath's bell jar for female games journalists. There's just, there's just <laughs> no getting around it. It's, it's a cliche, but it is my favourite series of all time. Okay, um, what is your worst rage quit? Oh, um, if you're prone to such things i i'm not that bad a friend of mine once pushed me off a piano stool when we were playing worms because i beat him so badly (laughs) um that wasn't great um i i have again i'm I'm sorry to say team raid again but i have wanted to strangle that fucking bitch in her sleep or preferably when she's awake just because (laughs) she can be standing in front of you, especially in the old, not now, but in the olden days, in the old games, you know, she'd be standing with a door inches from her face and not be able to work out where the fucking lock is. Um, I have wanted to rage murder her quite a lot. <laughs> Maybe they could do a podcast about it. They could do a podcast. Um, okay. Yeah. But I, I don't think I've ever like turned off a game in rage. I'm more like one of those people who, right, well, I'm just going to do it again. I'm going to keep doing it until I've beaten you, you know? Yeah. yeah, which, yeah. Is, which is how I wasted... 48 pokeballs on a particularly obstinate pidgey today um <laughs> but yeah do you are you a, a rage quitter um not so much anymore actually that's a lie yes i am um <laughs> but not like i don't i don't ever rage quit i've never like broken anything when i was younger i used to punch the wall which is i've probably messed <gasps> up my wrist doing that like god not like you know i'm talking when i was like 11 or 12 or something i'd get furious because the games were just absolutely like monstrous and there was yeah. no save point, so you're like, right, I've spent four hours doing this, yeah. and then yeah. yeah, you you get you get the rage, but never anything that bad. I, I I'm really, I mean, depending on your preference, I'm really good or bad at swearing at games. Like I really, really shout and swear a lot, especially Mario Kart. What is there a game that has kind of consumed your life to the point where you've had to like uninstall it and walk away from it? I had to leave Farmville alone. That that got quite bad. Oh, really? Were you one of the the Farmvillers? Yeah, I, I don't say that's like saying were you a Nazi? Like it's <laughs> not. It's not. There's no. There's no menace involved. It's the way you it. said it, Declan. It's the way you said. Oh, were you one of those? Well, no, because yeah. it, it was. It's what like... did your granddad do in the war? That's how you said it. That's how you said it. 
I just mean it was it was a very specific moment in time, and you know, Farmville was like the first um, part of this wave of like free to play, endless clickers. Mm, yeah, and I and I did I did I loved it. I love I, I loved the sort of order of it, and you know, it's I do like games like that. I like games like that. I like but like Pokemon Puzzle League. I was really into Candy Crush you know, now Pokemon Go, all, all the sort of big obvious ones, but they're all actually about the same thing, which is kind of creating order from chaos yeah, and I mean, collecting yeah. things and organizing things and putting things into little boxes and patterns and making them nice and neat. And as my comedy partner and husband, who are two different people, will tell you, uh, that's something I like. <laughs> <laughs> that's something I'm into. So, yeah. Yeah, no, tidying up in games is, is the best. I'm not so keen on collecting things, to be honest. I've never been, I've never like searched out all the collectibles in anything, I think. Oh, the only the only one I've ever done is Donkey Kong Country. 101% asterisk exclamation mark completion. Oh, I didn't even know yeah. that was possible. Oh, well, I'm telling you. Uh, yeah, no, I, I know what you were like. I don't like if like if you're playing like an action adventure. I don't like the whole thing of like you know in the modern Tomb Raiders, you have collected seventy four yeah. of one hundred ferns. I just couldn't give a shit about ferns. I just <laughs> don't need them in my life. But I quite, I'm quite enjoying the Pokemon thing with collecting all collect. Well, you, you have you have to collect them all literally, yeah, of course. don't you? You've got to collect them all. That's I the never, point. I never, I like because I don't know. I just I got home and I installed it and I realized I had to go out again if I wanted to play. So. I, <laughs> I just didn't you set a lure. You can set a lure, Declan, and then they come to you. But you you can't do like I mean I, I literally have played it for like ten minutes, but you can't do like the proper Pokemon stuff of like fighting them and stuff, can you? You go that's what that's what the gym is for. Is you it? You go down the gym. You like you like a video game gym, you'd love this. Get yourself down the Pokemon gym. Maybe I'll try it and again. You can have a little No, it's good, it's good times. So you have to be level five though before you can go to the gym. Ah, see, so that's a big commitment. <laughs> <laughs> Five whole. I don't. Levels. I don't leave the house very much, Ellie. Like this is a big commitment for me to go walking around. Oh um, well, set a lure, get a small <laughs> child, and you'll be off. You'll be level fifteen before you know it. I do, and like I totally love the idea of it. I really do. But uh, maybe, 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 maybe you've convinced me. Yeah. Um. So what happens after um, PSG twenty four seven? That was it, right? <laughs> After PSG twenty four seven, so that ended really hilariously. Whereby they so they kept sacking everyone until it was me and Paul, and he was like the editor, and I was the editor, and we made a whole video games magazine on our own. We made this whole issue on our own, and we wrote every word ourselves, and it was a nightmare, but we did it, and we got through it, and we're like great. And then we waited for the copies to turn up in the office, and then they never turned up, and they never turned up, and they never, and we kept saying, "Where's the magazine?" And they were like, "Oh, it's coming, it's coming," and then they started saying oh, um, there's been a problem at the warehouse uh, and there's been a fire. There's been a fire and all the magazines have been destroyed. <laughs> and we were like, okay. <laughs> uh, and then they started saying things like, and um, by the way, all mail has to go out second class post now. No more first. And we were like, okay, this is this is the end of days, isn't it? This is the beginning of the end. And then sure enough, they called us in one day and they said, um, yeah, we are closing the magazine and we're making you redundant. And I said, right, okay. Um, did the did the magazine ever actually get printed, or was it? Uh, and they were like, no, no, it, it was just never printed. We can afford to get it printed. And I said, right, okay, good. And they said, um, we do have another job offer for you. Would you like a job as a sub editor on Simply Cards and Paper Craft? <laughs> and I said, no, I I don't think that's me. 
And they said, yep, we thought you'd say that. And they pushed the check across the table and I walked out the door. <laughs> and that was, that was the end of that. So that was a shame. And then so I went back to London uh, to live with my parents, which is always a good feeling. Yeah. And uh, like, but was that was that quite scary, though, because or were you just like waiting and waiting for it to happen? Um, no, in a way, I'd been in Macclesfield a year. And while I was there, I got together with Pete, who was now my husband, um, but obviously wasn't then. And so we were going back to London every weekend because we had we he, his, he had a flat down there. And so all our friends were down there and I was kind of ready to go home, really. I was kind of, I, you know, as much as I loved having my lunch in a little chef every day, I thought this isn't the glamorous video games journalism lifestyle I envisioned for myself. Yeah, especially after your your kind of taste of, of the PlayStation glory days only a few years yeah. earlier. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I was like, well, you know, so I was all right. I was ready to go home, really. And, um, and I did, but I had, I was booked to go on this press trip to Paris to see some Vivendi PC games. And um, uh, a lovely lady called Kat Shannon, who worked for Vivendi at the time, um, I, I, they, oh, that's right. They said, go on the press trip anyway and write it up for the magazines. We'll pay you freelance because they still had a couple of PC magazines going. Okay. And I said, fine, I'll do that. So I turned up at the Eurostar at like nine o'clock in the morning and this lovely lady cat was like, oh, I'm really sorry. I thought they told me you'd been made redundant. So I, I canceled your ticket. And I was like, oh, bollocks. I guess that means I haven't got the freelance work either. And, you know, they hadn't bothered to tell me any of this. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, look, don't worry about it. Just come on the trip anyway. <laughs> and I said, really? I'd never met before. And I was like, um, oh, what trip to paris i've got my suitcase all right let's let's go because again this is the days when you were allowed to be friends with pr people um <laughs> without anyone thinking it made you uh corrupt so seth blatter or something i don't know so anyway we went um um she and i got on really well and it was there i met tom brownwell who worked with Eurogamer, and um he and i got on really well and it was all very jolly uh and came home and then she recommended me for this job that came up at Eurogamer writing news and I went and met Tom and Pat and Rupert and they gave me a job on Eurogamer and and then that was the start of that. That's amazing. So it's just a lovely act of kindness. A lovely act of kindness. And to this day, Kat is one of my very best friends and I love her dearly. Uh, and yeah, she made my wedding cake. So, oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah it's been she, good she fun. She just keeps on giving. She is. She really does keep on giving. So, yes. <laughs> so then I was at Eurogamer for nearly a decade um, and it was brilliant and I loved it and I loved them and I have no bad words to say about them. Don't try and Humphreys me, Declan. I'm not trying to get you to say bad things about, about Eurogamer. I was, <laughs> I I, I was going to say, like, is... I was I was going to ask, because you had this kind of, not terrible experience, but, you know, you, you, your life had kind of been um, thrown into a tumult because this magazine had closed and you made redundant, did that make you resent games but clearly not because very quickly games pulled you right back in yeah and and again like i think i think that's giving games too much power <laughs> like I, and i'm I just trying to is... keep with the theme of the show ellie right sorry am i ruining it am i completely <laughs> no, no no it's fine it's fine it's fine no, no, carry on points. am i just ruining it um i thought yeah so uh you know i mean obviously um, it was all people involved i just meant like if your relationship with games would sour and then but it wouldn't because you're suddenly working the games again anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I, I, yeah, I, I, maybe, I have become more jaded since then. I would say during the decade I worked at Eurogamer, I definitely, there, there did come a point where it's like that old joke about, you know, 
um, you know, gynecologists, you know, when they get home from work and their wife's like, hey, hey, and they're like, oh, God, you know, if I see one more today, it does, it gets a bit <laughs> like that, right? So um, that's that's true. But it took a little while. It took a while. I think it was only, I think it was after having worked at your gamer for a long time. And it wasn't actually to do with Eurogamer. It was to do with the industry. And it was to do with doing quite a lot of E3s and, and sitting in a lot of rooms listening to American men in polo shirts telling me how this new uh, post-apocalyptic shooter was groundbreaking and leveraging amazing new <laughs> technologies you know there comes a point you can only hear that so many times about yeah that's, that's like you uh you write in the back of back of boxes okay yeah exactly you're like you're just exactly. doing the exact same thing yeah yeah you, you could recognize it in each other and you're like no i <laughs> see through you yeah <laughs> And I was the editor of GamesIndustry.biz for a while as well. And I think that sort of ruined me a bit because I interviewed all these top executives and all these people with titles like, you know, top global director of international business operations for Europe, VP. And like they would all just say the same things. And, and, and most of them, not all of them, but the vast majority of them had, real, had no real interest in video games or the art of them or the creativity behind them or, you know, and really were just interested in share prices. And and I found that pretty tedious. Yeah, you don't strike me as someone who's uh, um, inclined to be as interested in that side of the industry. <laughs> no, it wasn't, it wasn't a natural fit. No, not really. <laughs> and it was kind of disappointing. It was kind of like meeting the wizard in The Wizard of Oz, right? It was kind of like, oh, you know, I thought I thought all these people were like going to be like Shigeru Miyamoto or Hideo Kojima, and they're all just men in suits called Brian from Kansas. <laughs> um not to you know put Dane Bryans in Kansas I'm sure no. there's some amazing ones yeah there's yeah but there's also you know yeah some other ones, ones. <laughs> um so did you think when you you left that you've kind of started to enjoy games a bit more because they're more just like well I suppose now you're working on the tv show but it's probably less intense I imagine yeah I I I enjoy not kind of having to review stuff and I enjoy what well, and the, when I went after I had my first baby I went back to Eurogamer two days a week and none of us kind of knew what to do with me and I went on I started doing YouTube videos for a bit and I really didn't like it and it was it was the wrong thing to do uh, I'm just too old for it and I don't really understand it and so I found that quite stressful um so to be out of all that felt like a bit of a relief really yeah. Um, and it reached a point where I got, I got pregnant with my second child. I thought, well, I don't want to go on another maternity leave and then come back and then work out, well, what am I going to do now? And and um, and I was enjoying the comedy and getting into that. So I thought, oh, let's just pack it in. And then I can be freelance and nobody has to worry about finding something for me to do. I can just do whatever I like yeah, uh, and make a bit of money as and when I need to. So that's where it's at. All right. So what... Um... I feel bad just skipping over 10 years at Eurogamer. Like what was like your, your best day or your worst day or something well, good that happened there? It, I mean, it was, it was great from, cause when it started out, we all worked from home and there was an office, but it was, it was in the extension of Rupert's parents' house in Brighton. So like you'd go to the office and then like his mum would bring you out a cup of tea. Like it was amazing. <laughs> and there was, there was like less than 10 of us, I think. And we were all very young and really into games and really dedicated to building this thing. Because you again, you know, at this time when I joined was not the big thing it is today, right? It was just, you know, 
this sort of early startup thing. All yeah. the magazines were very big and they were all, a lot of them kind of looked down on Rupert because Rupert was only 16, I think, when he started the company. So he was still a teenager and he was kind of poo-poos and laughed at a bit for being this sort of young upstart and it wouldn't come to anything and people love print and blah, blah, blah. And we just quietly and diligently worked and worked and built it and built it. And it felt like we were all building it together um, into this big structure and it was fun and it was just all these really funny cool people and and i loved it and i loved and i loved it even as it grew bigger i loved like i loved all the e3 and the gdc's and all of that i always loved going on press trips and hanging out with because i really like video game journalists like the vast majority of them are just cool funny people who like games so that was always a big thing for me yeah um going on trips and meeting nice people and and getting smashed um and and Eurogamer was all about that. So, <laughs> and I still I still I do miss it sometimes, and I miss the camaraderie, and I'm still friends with them. And you know, yeah. But I think it was right for me to go when I did. But yeah, highlights probably like some of the like personal like career highlights. I remember Peter Molyneux telling me about Fable Three by accident or something in an interview, and then as a sort of compensation for not using it, like giving me access, early access to all the connect stuff. I can't remember now. It's all a blur. Oh, that's amazing. But I did get some good scoops. I got some good scoops. My favorite headline I ever wrote was um, Sony to conduct internal inquiry over dead goat incident, um, <laughs> which, which is where they launched a God of War game and at a, they had like a launch party in Greece and they slit a goat's throat uh to sort of demonstrate I remember that, yeah. Roman bacchanalianism or however it is you say it. Um, it's a shame so, though because that kind of ruined um, video game launch excesses. There's not been anything yeah. of the like since really. Oh, it's a real shame and they were so good, the press trips. They were so good. Like the places I went, I went to like Tokyo, Vancouver, all over Europe, like Athens, Paris, Prague, Rome, um just it was just bonkers i remember like going on the launch on the press trip for black do you remember which was the the gun yeah, game the criterion that, um, shooter on ps2 yeah and they hired um james bond's uh stuntman to like do some stunts with us like <laughs> and, and like film it i honestly i had to jump through a ring of fire that is it amazing. was hilarious and the night before, I got absolutely off my tits. Um, on we went to a strip club because again, it was acceptable in those days. We went to a strip club, and the PR um, gave me the money to look after <laughs> while he went off and had like a private dance, right? And then next thing I knew, I was in the ladies, and I heard this knock at the door, and he's going, uh, "Ellie," I was like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Have you got the money?" And I was like, "Yeah," and he's like. I need it. And I said, how much? And he said, all of it. <laughs> and I said, right, okay. So I came out in this Romanian <laughs> strip club and I gave him all the money and he spent, he'd spent all the money on lap dances <laughs> on the first night. So he had no money for the rest of the trip. It was hilarious. But I drank so much, I was absolutely off my nut. So I turned up the next morning and um, like was trying to be all professional and cool. And then they were like, yes, welcome to the day's events. You Today you will be jumping from a trampoline for a ring of fire. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God. And I vomited like in the corner just outside on the balcony. <laughs> and 
but you know again I was still quite young and like nowadays I just go I'd be like oh, fuck it I just go to bed but I was like all oh, right now I've got to be like I've got to show that I'm into it and I've got to you know so I went and did be a professional thing. and jump through this ring of yeah, fire yeah exactly exactly <laughs> And I went and did it. And then a friend of mine said later he was he was in the and then after after I did it, James Bond stuntman ruffled my hair and was like, Good one, love. And I was like, Yes, I've made it. And then someone overheard them in the bar later going, Oh, did you see that girl from fucking Southeast London? Do you know what? She was sick as a dog, she was. She still went through that bloody ring of fire. I was like, There we are. I've made it. I've impressed James Bond's stunt double. That's that's oh, it's all man. been worth it. It's all been worth it. That but is yeah. A I don't get that these days. It's a no, shame. It's all because of a dead goat. Mm. Well, that and you know, uh, some crisps and a soft drink. Yeah, that, that is also true. <laughs> that is also true. Um, <laughs> so how how is how are things now? How's the actually? You no, know, tell me about the the TV show. How did that come about? So yeah, so the TV show. So I've been doing comedy for a couple of years, and I um, how did I find out about it? I can't remember, but I went to see this show called Go Eight Bit, which is by these two guys, this double act called McNeil and Pamphalon, and um, it's about video games. And the stage show is a bit different to the TV show, as it's it's sort of changed as it's been turned into a TV show. But in those days, it was just like a really fun stage show in a pub and there were a couple of comedians playing classic video games and there was all sorts of silly stuff with punishments for losing and prizes for the audience and stuff like that okay. and they would do things like so they used to have this thing where they used to play pac-man and okay. then um whoever lost they would count up the number of pills they'd eaten and they would give each member of the audience a mini cheddar to represent those pills and then in the time it had taken them to complete or something. But anyway, and then the loser had to run around the audience trying to eat all the mini cheddars before, the, like a human Pac-Man, before the time <laughs> ran out. And as a person who finds video games ridiculous, obviously I thought this was amazing. And I was seeing the show and thinking, this is brilliant. This is the best. This is like, I've always loved comedy. I've always loved video games. And they've done it. They've, they've combined it in a way that is the funniest thing I've seen since Games Master. And it's great yeah and i loved it and i went up to them and so i love it and and can i can i help you what can i do and i'm still working for Eurogamer, um so i yeah i helped them to do some stuff at egx and that was cool and yeah sort of stayed friends with them and stayed in touch and then yeah they got this tv deal they got they got picked up by dave um and they needed and they changed the show format a bit dara o'brien got on board obviously as the host and they needed uh, a games expert and let's be honest i think they needed a woman and so um i auditioned for it and um and got it and so i'm i'm in it i'm like i'm if you imagine like countdown and dara's richard whiteley i'm like carol vorderman okay i'm not in the i've got my own desk and stuff it's very nice Oh, that's very exciting. Yeah. Or you're the you're the Dave Perry of, of Games Master. That's been bandied about, Declan, um, by people that I like less than you. And perhaps <laughs> now we have to put you in a new box, don't we? Oh, come on. I mean, he is, <laughs> as much as he is uh, ridiculed, everybody knows. And like, he is the only other person people remember, aside from Patrick Moore and Dominic Diamond. Oh, yeah. He's, people he's remember pretty- Dave Perry more than Dexter Fletcher. And Dexter Fletcher presented the show for a bit. And was in Press Gang for crying out loud. I know, I, mean, I know, yeah. Yeah, no, I interviewed Dave Perry um, for, I wrote a thing called Games Master, The Inside Story, and did a phone interview. Oh, that was him. brilliant. He's, he's I, I remember that. That oh, was really good. Thank you. Um, 
yeah but he's a really interesting character and and he did know what he was doing and you're right and i think and he said to me i think he took his inspiration from wrestlers right in wwe which obviously yeah. was huge in the 90s and he kind of set about creating this character who was kind of a villain but very memorable and sort of likable and yeah you sort of enjoyed watching him but having talked to him i think think there's quite a lot of his actual character in there as there would have to be so he's yeah he's an interesting guy oh so so was it was it fun was it good to do oh it was it was one of the most fun things i've ever done and hey i've worked in macclesfield next to a little chef so (laughs) i've done some fun things no it was really just super fun um dara is lovely and just very welcoming and makes you feel very sort of at ease and you know i was again it's a bit like you know i was just with my friends having a laugh and mucking about and it did feel like a massive deal like with makeup ladies and wardrobe ladies and this huge set and i had like i had like the best dressing room uh dara's didn't even have any windows so yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um and it felt for like but it's weird it felt like i would imagine going on x factories like for two weeks you feel like you're kind of you're kind of a big deal actually and uh you know you're kind of a star and then and then it's all over and like 24 hours after the rap party i was you know pushing a child on a swing with snot all over my jumper and just thinking <laughs> oh right here we are we're back we're back it's, it, it was a dream it must have just been a dream i dreamt that i was watching david james play susan cowman at pong while daro brian made jokes to me about it uh, it must have been it must have been a dream oh man <laughs> I am very excited about seeing that. I think it'd be brilliant. Mm. Um, I hope so. Well, on on this sort of this similar topic, then this is another relatively quick fire question, but it's a question I try and ask everybody because I think it's super rare and difficult for games to do. So, um, Ellie, what game has made you laugh the most? Ah, oh, fruit mystery. Fruit mystery. <laughs> Fruit mystery. Have <laughs> you played fruit no, mystery? I, don't I can't know what even that is. say I can't even say fruit mystery without laughing. It, that is how funny it is. It is a <laughs> game that no longer exists, um, I think, but I think it's in the Wayback Machine. Because someone actually on Twitter, someone found it for me the other day. Um, but it was like this sort of flash game and you have to <laughs> you have to feed um you have to feed fruit to animals. Okay. And I can't say any more of that, any more than that, either without spoiling it or without collapsing into <laughs> laughter. It's an experience. Freak Mystery is an experience. Go and find it. Find it the way you're machine. Um, it's it's the funniest thing that's ever happened to me. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I'm gonna... Are you doing it now? Are you doing it now? No. Well, I'm. I'm... No, because I, if I if I search for it now, it'll be I'll get spoilers. I imagine. Yeah. No, yeah. I've written something about it. What did I write? Oh, no, it is. It's online and still playable, I think. Oh, Oh, no, the domain has expired. Right, I'll track it down. I'll track it down. I'll put it in the show notes. Because I think that's an experience everybody should have by the sounds of it. Apparently, according to this search i've just done it was my game of the decade in 2010 <laughs> so that's uh that's how good it is that's some endorsement yeah um well i'm going to leave it on that cliffhanger then and let's see if we can find a, a copy of the game ellie is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to bring up or that you thought you should mention i don't think so i think i just um 
I would just obviously I would just say please, please watch Go Eight Bit uh, <laughs> because we've, in all seriousness, we've tried. I'm worried about it because we've tried very hard to make a video games TV show that isn't rubbish, and as we know empirically, that is quite hard. Oh, um, very hard. Yeah. And there were a lot of challenges doing it because I was sort of brought in as the games expert. And that's not just on the screen, like in the background, I wrote all the VTs that you hear me do. And I was consulted on quite a lot of stuff and, and had like quite a lot of meetings where like we'd sit there and the producers would be kind of like, right. So we'll start off by saying this thing about the joy pads. And I go, right, you can't, you can't call them joy pads. And they go, why? And I go, cause it's, it's 2016. And, and, <laughs> nobody says that anymore and they'd be like but but what about joysticks and i'd be like no no just and they were like what should we call them and they were i was like controllers they're just just say controllers it's okay to just say people will know what you mean if you say controllers that's that's better and they'd be like but why can't you say joypads anymore and i was like because you can't say mangle or gramophone you know (laughs) it's just not appropriate so there were quite a few moments like that and arguments like that where i have tried to you know ensure that it's funny and it does have classic games but we've also put new games in there we put things like nidhogg in and gang beasts and sort of cooler more modern stuff because we don't also just want it to be like a retro fest so all i say is please watch it if you hate it at least know that we tried that's such a british (laughs) thing to say isn't it not, see my Australian comedy partner. She goes. She gives. She gives our fly with our faces on to people, and she goes, "Come and see this. It's great." And I'll be like, "You're in it, mate. They're not going to trust your opinion. They can see that you're in it." And I'm like the opposite. I'm like, "Please come and see this. I'm so sorry. It's going to be awful. Please, I'm sorry. Please don't." <laughs> Do you know? Um, I discovered uh, an absolutely killer flyer technique. Uh, I did the fringe. I don't know three years ago, two years ago. Oh, did you? I did. I did a thing a couple of years ago. I did a thing where I met everybody who followed me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> Amazing. And that, yeah, and it was just a bit of a lark, but it ended up becoming kind of international news for about three days. Oh wow! Uh, which was oh, it was brilliant. I was on TV in Iraq and stuff. It was amazing. Um, oh my god! So I just did a show about it. I did like a show at the Fringe, um, and it was good. It was a good show. I, like I live in Glasgow, so I, I've done it a bunch of times now. It was good fun, but. Oh. Uh, flyer in is absolutely oh god the worst thing in the world i hated every second of doing it uh but my mum came <laughs> my mum came to see the show and she she was just the best flyer in the world because my mum is like she's about 73 74 um very thick irish accent and just lovely <laughs> and just handing out and i'm stood behind her and my <laughs> face is on the flyer so clearly i've just got this <laughs> precious little lady to hand out all my flyers to me is brilliant oh that's what i need i'm gonna get my mother involved that's, oh, that's it, it. It, honestly it's killer nobody nobody will turn it down so it's fine no oh, um, exciting cool well i think i think we've covered everything that was brilliant ellie i think so i think we've covered the whole history of video games my career freak mystery daro brian we've done the lot mate we've, we've we done it done we've completed we it done the lot. Yeah. um well thanks very much are you happy thanks with that are you good me. i think so yeah, I feel, I feel like it's a bit like the TV show, actually. I feel like, I think, I don't know. I, I think it's why I think I've done my best. Do you do you edit them heavily? I edit them a bit. Okay. Not that heavily. Yeah. Depends how long they go. The longer they go, the more I edit them. But generally, I don't too much. Yeah. I'll probably edit this bit out, to be honest. Although now it's a bit <laughs> meta, and I do like meta stuff, so I might leave it in. <laughs> I'm so fucking, I'm feeling really fucking meta right now. I can't, <laughs> can't even begin to tell you. Incredibly. No, honestly, I'm, I really am. I'm... I'm mad for it um uh, yeah 
I oh. always leave in um, bits like if people interrupt, like like on an episode recently, my dad like just delivered a desk in the middle of the podcast for <laughs> just no reason. Or the best one was we were interviewing Stacey Solomon at, at her house, and like oh, Joe that was a good episode. just turned up, like oh it's Joe Swash, yeah it's perfectly normal, it's perfectly fine. So yeah, <laughs> I, I quite like I like a bit of that. It's good. Oh, you should plug I that like as me. well because it's really good. You should plug the podcast. Oh, I, I will. Thank you. It's called Scummy Mummies. It's free to download. And it is, we say it's for less than perfect parents. But we do, as you say, we do have quite a few non-parents who listen to it and say they like it. Because we don't just talk about kids. We talk about, uh, God, every wine, sex, travel, food, films, comedy. What else is there? Coat hangers. Games. Beans, ga- games, yeah. Bring it on topic. Bring it on topic. Yeah. We've, no, we've had Keith Stewart on, who you've had on. Okay, cool. Um, and we're going to have him on again soon to talk about his novel. His novel, yes. yeah. Yeah, I like good. to say that as as sarcastic as I can because I'm very jealous. So yeah, he's written a proper book. Our scummy mummy's book, which is out in March, is is just boob jokes. <laughs> so <laughs> thirty thousand words of boob jokes. It'd be good. I managed to uh, track down uh, a version of Fruit Mystery, which I've included in the show notes, and I would really highly recommend you go and, and play it. Uh, thanks again for listening. Rate and view on iTunes. See you later. Bye.